Hey, John. Hey, Brian. It's time to record our first podcast. Uh, yes, it is. I'm excited, man. Me too. Uh, today's uh, topic is going to be getting started, and um, I'm really excited about it because uh, it, it works perfectly with our podcast. We are actually getting started with our podcast, uh, but it's a topic that is kind of a universal topic that applies to, to everything from from really big projects like starting a company or or writing a book or doing something that's going to take a long time and a lot of work to literally like uh, getting down on the ground and doing some push-ups today. You know, like that, like getting started is, is a, is a, is a a topic that I think covers all types of activities. And I think it's going to make it really interesting to explore. Yeah. And of course this is a perfect time to do it because we have, you know, something that we're all going through right now that, uh, you know, we'll talk about in terms of how it relates to uh, the topic of getting started, but with the global pandemic happening right now, it's a pretty crazy time to think about, getting started with anything and yeah yeah it's uh it's 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 a fun topic for us to talk about it relates to our business and and uh, launching an apparel company um with honestly between the two of us very little experience doing anything in terms of apparel but having a lot of experience wearing apparel uh, especially when it comes to brands uh, like nike and adidas and and uh, you know the shoe companies that we're so familiar with as as runners as avid runners um, but yeah, this is, this is an important topic to us. It means a lot to be able to talk about at a time when we both know that people, including ourselves, need to be reminded daily uh, to combat um, a lot of the other information out there about what's happening and all the uncertainty around what the future holds for us. But we both know uh, at the end of the day, it's important to focus on what we can control and to get started with the things that we know we've been putting off in our lives finding ways to overcome the things that are holding us back. And I'm so excited to uh, share some insight in terms of what we've been experiencing and uh, hopefully to share some insight into what we've used to overcome, uh, you know, the most common barriers that, that, we, we, that we all share and that we all face when trying to get started with stuff. So from a groundwork perspective, or just so everybody knows, uh, when you're, when you, whenever you hear this episode, it's, it's April 6th. Uh, we are in the middle of the global pandemic. I'm uh, based in Japan. John is in the United States. So we're, we've been experiencing very different situations. The U.S. has uh, been having a lot more issues and is on a full lockdown. My experience has been one of, uh, for the last month, uh, pretty... Uh, our family's been doing pretty extreme social distancing, but we, but, but the society is not in a state of lockdown. So we can sort of go about and do things in a more freely, but we've sort of chosen not to. And we, you know, our girls have been off of school. We've been, they've been in the house. So some similarities, but I know in your case, John, it's been a little bit more extreme. Yeah, it, it, it has. And I know that it's confusing for all of us because, um, we don't know what we're supposed to do. We don't know, um, what information and what sources to trust and, I know that between the two of us, we were just talking before we uh, got on air here, but it's important to remind each other that we have to focus on what's in front of us and focus on what we can control. And yeah, I mean, I'm seeing the stuff that we're doing here in the U.S. and specifically here in Orange County where I live. And um, it's definitely mind boggling uh, trying to wrap my mind around what's going on. But you know, as an optimist, as somebody who has my entire life, and you've known me for 20 years now, Brian, um, I I see the positive in everything, and I look for the opportunities to grow uh, when there's challenges, especially when there's challenges. And my hope, 
you know, in my heart, I really hope that when people um, listen to our podcast and specifically this first episode that they know we're very aware of what's going on, right? Yeah. And how hard it is for all of us. And I want our voices and to, to feel like they're, you know, talking to us, that they're connected, that they're not alone because we're in this with you guys. We, <laughs> we don't know what the heck to think half the time and our conversations off air, we're going to bring them on air because they're very thoughtful, they're very provoking. Um, but we believe that there's a lot of value in the information that we find that we now are translating through the lens of Go Be More. And uh, this is a big one. This is a big one for us. It is, and, and you know, we're experiencing this from multiple perspectives. I mean, I, I, I feel because of my background and some of what I've done, like I, I understand a, a lot of what's happening uh, at the at the macro level and the big picture, uh, you know, in terms of exponential growth and, and all these things. I understand them conceptually, but what's really difficult is the emotional impact that something like the coronavirus has. And I, and I see this with my wife who, who handles it very differently than I do and has had more issues with the, the impact it's had on our lives. You know, like it's, it's, it's just kind of completely upset our normal routines and it's being home more, not like just every every time you see the news and, and, and you see an update that's usually it's, it's a lot of negative news, those kind of things kind of wear on you. And it's really easy to feel a little bit overwhelmed by them. And I think that's an area where everybody's going through a challenge and, and different people are experiencing it in different ways. But, you know, if you're listening to this and especially if you're listening to this soon after we record it, I'm sure that you're going through this in some to some degree. Right. Like it's everybody, I think, is in some is in a little state of of being overwhelmed by the, the magnitude of, of everything that's happening and, and all the things that we that we assume to be sort of normal and consistent in our lives have been sort of upended. And, and we're trying to figure out, everybody, what what can we do and what should we be doing and, and where do we go from here? Exactly. That's that's the big one. Like what what should we be doing? Right. And I think what you should be doing is what you can do. Right. Whatever you can do, you should do whatever you can control for sure. You can con- you should try to control as much as you can. And that includes um, your level of productivity um, at home. I, I wrote a social post. Um, I, I cut out like a 10 second clip from like a one minute video that I made talking about um, what are you going to do with this time, you know, while you're at home. And, and, I, and I feel like the opportunity yeah. that we all think about, Brian, we say this a lot. We hear it in front of, from all of our friends. We say it ourselves all the time. We say, hey, uh, you know, the relationships with my kids or my spouse or significant other, my, um, the hobbies that I want to work on, you know, I'm going to, yep. I, 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 I don't have time. You know, I don't have time to work on it. I, I want to find time. I want to make time. I feel like we're being given that time. You know, I, I know that this is a crazy moment in history. I know that it's hard to imagine living in a time like this it really is a crazy time but for sure like the most valuable thing that we do have is time and if we spend more of it hoping this is over and and, and hoping that it gets over soon versus okay being present and focusing on what's in front of us the most important thing that we say we all say is important to us our relationships with our family and our loved ones and now we're spending all this time with them we're 
quote unquote trapped. I mean, I think mm-hmm. you're safe at home is the way that somebody said they're they're not stuck at home, but safe at home. Well, you're safe at home with loved ones, and I hope that you're not alone. Yes, absolutely. You know, whoever you know, who's ever out there living alone, I hope that you're not living alone. I hope that you do have some way to connect with other people physically that you know is okay um, to be around if it's possible. But, you know, for sure, I I hope people are connecting with those that are in front of them, that they actually live with, that they say they want to make time to be closer to. Because you're being given that time to do all kinds of stuff to improve yourself when this is over. And and you said it to me a while, uh, at the beginning of this, Hashtag come out stronger. I think that we can come out stronger and we should be doing all that we can to be the best version of ourselves when we come out of this thing because it will end. We don't know when and things will be different. We don't know how different they're going to be, but we do know that we should not be wasting this time working on ourselves. And I think that's a big reason why um, this topic that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks before recording this podcast, getting started, is so important uh, to us. You know, you you t- you focused on what can you control. It's really easy to turn on the news. You know, I'm in Japan, but I have family and friends uh, based on my life experience living in Italy and the UK and in the US. I have family and friends who are in much worse situations uh, in, ter- in terms of their communities and, and the situation they're in. And And it's really easy to turn on the news and spend a lot of time thinking about those things because you know there's people you care about. There's these are important emotionally for us. But on the other side of it is I have a very immediate reality that I'm living in, which is what you're focusing on, which is I have my kids at home. We have some restrictions on what we can do, so we have to you know get creative now, which is which is a, a topic for a future episode. Is like the the power of, of constraints to improve your creativity and and yeah, and stuff. which like, is a concept I love. Yeah, and, and I think we've been trying to take that attitude of saying, well, what we can control is our local environment. You know, to some extent, I my attitude with my writing has been to try to actually write about, uh, use writing as a way to hopefully have some influence and, and help people who are in uh, in other places where I can't be there directly to help, but I can at least maybe help provide some perspective or some fr- or frame things in a way that helps people to think through how to tackle this this period. But when it comes down to it, there's there's a certain amount of control we have and there's a lot we don't have control over. And if we spend the balance of our time worrying about the things we can't control, the feeling of overwhelmingness will, will be just compounded. It will be, to, it will, it will be greater. And, and what we need to be doing is really starting with the, the local environment that we can control and making that as uh, positive and productive and healthy as we can and it's fine to be paying attention to everything else that's going around in the world, but it's, but it shouldn't be the majority of the focus, right? And yeah, and I think that's a key thing to, uh, to start off with. I don't know if you're ready. If you want to transition over to the topic, yeah, no, I think it's it's it's, it's absolutely. I I was just thinking to myself that you know you guys don't know who 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 we are as far as the the company that we've started, Gobi More, and what that really is all about, but. What a great time to be starting a company, yeah. <laughs> honestly, even though it's hard to yes. uh, fund it and generate revenue for it. Um, it th- that's that's really not the the reason why we're, we started Gobi More uh, together, uh, launched it together, and why I thought of it, you know, 13 years ago. Uh, I didn't do it because I was eager to make money and generate revenue and, and that, that everything would hinge upon that. I wanted to learn how to build a company. I wanted to learn how to create something that made sense to me and that would be, uh, in many ways, I think when you build a company of your own, 
you're, it's about your legacy and what you're leaving behind and what you're contributing to society. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with the revenue that I generate. Keeping the company alive, that's a that's a big part of it. But I could still be go be more and do go be more and give motivational speeches regardless of income. You know, I, I was doing it. I was doing it already. You know, and so um, starting a company doesn't hinge upon that. And and getting started definitely doesn't hinge upon that. And I think that our company is a great example of that. And I think that we're going to come out of this thing stronger because we're choosing to see it that way. You know. I think that's it, and and I think we should go into a little bit about, and we will let's go into a little bit about Gobi Moore and, and the, the 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 processes that the, that we went through, the stages that we've gone through, and the time it's taken to get to where we are. But but first, let me let me outline for everybody, um, and I'm gonna explain this to you, and you can challenge me on this wherever you see fit, John, because this is sort of like the way I think about uh, about the challenge of getting started. I actually personally, I don't think of getting started as being fundamentally different from keeping going. Right. I feel like the two things are there are differences, but for the most part, the same things that that keep us from getting started are, are the things that keep us from continuing. The way I view this is there's sort of three different types of challenges we have to overcome if we want to get started on things. And, and I've grouped them roughly into three things, inertia, friction and opposing forces. It's a very physics kind of way of thinking about it, I suppose. It's a very it's a very abstract, but. Let me run through them quickly and you can tell me what you think about sort of these these different ideas because in my mind inertia is things like motivation or uh the energy to to try to do something or something feels so big that you feel like you can't move it like it's it's you, you, there's no sort of an inner feeling but it's, it's the idea of if you're not moving now you can't it, it's you have to overcome the fact that you're not moving now in order to get moving Right. Or if you're moving slowly, it's how do you move it faster? And a lot of this I tend to think of as being stuff that we control. But it's but it's a very strong force that, that keeps us from getting going. It's in my mind, inertia is mostly a, an, an internal thing, something that, that we deal with emotionally or, or you know, friction is is just how hard something is. You know, learning to play the piano is different from learning like particle physics. Like if you want to get in, if you want to be a physicist, that's just harder than learning how to play the piano or learning how to or, or getting yourself in shape or something. Right. Like it's the, it yeah. takes more time. <laughs> it takes more. It takes more uh, a lot more energy to do it. So loosely friction for me is how hard is it? And and the reason why that's important when you're trying to get started on something is like when you're trying to get started on something that's really hard progress is really slow, right? Like it doesn't, you don't make a lot of progress quickly if, there, if something is, is really, really difficult. So you have inertia is sort of the ability to get yourself going. It's those internal, is the, the, the motivation and the energy required to get started or, or, to, or to keep things going. The friction is sort of how hard something is and how hard it is to keep going. The third group of sort of uh, challenges we have to overcome for me is I loosely call them opposing forces. And these are sort of like everything in our life. Like it's the competing priorities. It's our it's our children's you know taking care of our kids. It's our work responsibilities. It's our commitments that we have to other people. Or or, or and some of these are not even necessarily commitments, but they're just other people and other other things will always come in and try to sort of take some of your time, some of your attention, some of your some of your energy. And those things sometimes can be a very it can be very clear. This one person is holding me back. But a, a lot of the time, it's lots of little things that in some are can hold you back. Right. It's, oh, I just want to see this next episode. I just want to see, I'm just going to watch this next, this next, uh, whatever I'm streaming. And you never get, you never stop and actually get to working on the thing that you in principle want to work on. So 
I mean, that's a very high level categorization. And, but I, the reason I categorize them this way is because I think if you can categorize something, you can think about it differently and you can apply strategies to that type of thing that work that often work consistently across them. So I think it's actually very important to think about what is exactly the type of problem that's holding you back. And if you can think about it that way, you can develop and apply strategies every time you encounter that type of problem. Okay, so that makes sense. So each each category is in it, it's in its own sense like a category related to a specific type of problem that's making it difficult to uh, get started and also to maintain the effort to keep going. Yes. Is that kind of like how you're how you're framing it with the article that you wrote on our, our site? Yes, absolutely. You know, to my because you wrote the article and 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 I it's funny it's like I'm being educated as well you know uh, yeah I, I may have helped found the company and come up with the idea but these mental models these ideas of how to go be more not just the really nice cute slogan of inspirational words tied together go be more uh it's it's great but like i don't want to just inspire people and this is why this partnership between you and i uh is so great is that i come at it from like that dream pie in the sky kind of guy mm-hmm. which is great and it's fun and it's very motivating and it's very inspiring it's very it, it, it creates a lot of energy in other people to be uh pumped up and ready to go yes. but you know structuring that energy directing that energy channeling that energy effectively and, and and efficiently is what's key to true success and benefit from those three words go be more and I hear what you're saying with inertia and friction and opposing forces, and I hear that they're. I hear them as, this is one type of problem, this is another type of problem, and this is a third type of problem. And each of these problems are all present uh, in some capacity, yep. and you have to address each in some capacity in order to make progress uh, in anything, and also to get started with anything. I definitely have some example, concrete examples of that. I think one of the the ones that we're going to talk about, obviously, is we're talking about Gobi Moore and starting an apparel company. And that's going to be a little bit fun to talk about uh, in this episode. But really quickly, so you guys know, I'm, I'm just so you know, I'm a sub four minute miler. And the four minute mile, the four minute barrier, well, that's, uh, you know, one of the greatest, considered one of the greatest athletic achievements or feats, period. Yes. Because it's it was considered back in 40s and 50s, I think, right when people really could have a chance to break the four-minute barrier. Uh, and there was all these different c- countries that were participating in the effort to have the first sub-four-minute miler. The UK, uh, Sweden had a couple runners. United States had a couple runners. Australia had a couple runners. And they were all, you know, uh, chasing this magical barrier. And the world was actually watching. Yes, they were. And the world was actually inspired because they said, wow, this is, in many ways, they believed that if a man went under four minutes, that he would die, that his heart would actually burst, and that he would cross the finish line and drop. It dead. seems crazy now that 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 people could think of magical of numbers as having those magical properties. But I agree with you that that is that is how it was. I thought people literally were making that argument, right? It's a well, think about it. That's one of those things where I mean, I, I don't know what category of problem that you put that in, but that's in many ways friction it, 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 because it, at least in my mind, that's uh, that's friction. Yeah. It, it's it, yeah. you know because people are being are telling you or they're sharing this uh, collective conscious idea that going under four minutes running under four minutes for one mile will kill a man. And so so for, for me, when you know, this is, you know, the, the magical barrier was broken by Rod, Sir Roger Bannister, you know, and he is from the United, United Kingdom. 
and he did it on May 4th, 1954. And Roger Bannister did not die. And um, he ran 359, and he did it, and it was like this huge deal. And a couple people, not too long after he did it, I think it was within weeks, yeah, I think some so. of the other guys that were so close, they went on to break four minutes. Why? Because that mental barrier, that friction uh, of the idea that you're going to die, I mean, I'm sure that holds, holds people back that are trying to do it in some capacity. It's, it's friction. It's, it's something that can hold you back. That was removed, and then they were able to do it. Now, for me, my experience, and I'm an African-American. Okay. I um, was born in the United States. But I'm my my ethnicity, my my roots are really Caribbean. So I'm from the Cayman Islands. I'm half Jamaican, half Caymanian. Shout out to you know family and <laughs> friends back back home. Yep. Uh, you know, look at the end of the day, like where I'm from and my group, my ethnic group, we're considered jumpers and sprinters. Not even remotely uh, in the conversation when it comes to. Uh, distance running, middle distance running. We don't really even participate. We're a minority in this sport in and of itself. And then being born in the United, or being born in the United States and raised in the United States primarily um, as an African-American, uh, we don't, again, it's a very small group of people. Uh, minorities don't participate in distance running, especially at the time in the 90s when I got into running was 1996, right before my freshman year in high school. So I saw the Olympics. I saw Michael Johnson. I saw all this stuff happening. And I said, you know, I want to be a runner. And I thought I would do sprinting stuff because Michael Johnson was doing it. So that's what I was excited to kind of like be like Mike, yep. that Michael, that MJ. But what happened was the thing that really kind of was happening in the background was everybody kept seeing me run the mile in junior high, in high school, in my PE classes. The coaches and uh, PE coaches and teachers and stuff were like, yeah, you should try for track. You should do the mile or something like that. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'll do the mile, but I'll also do the 400. I'll also do this. I was still if every event was so different. Yep. So I got into the track and field my freshman year. And then I ended up um, trying for the 400, and I was terrible at it. And then I said, well, they got me on the, the distance team. and said, look, just run the mile. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with distance running, and I was I was like, well, everything I ever want to do in my life, I've always said to myself, I'm going to go big. So I'm like, I'm going to be a sub-four-minute miler in high school. I was going to be a sub-four-miler in high school. I was going to chase that goal. I going to be an Olympian, all this stuff. But everybody was opposing it. They're like, that's a terrible idea. You're not a runner. You're, you're only a basketball player, so that's not going to happen. Right. Um, right. It's impossible. So it's not that they didn't want me to do it, but they just all this negative talk about, Really? What are you talking about? Because they couldn't imagine being able to do it. And so I had to convince myself that I could do it. So the inertia was like the why and then getting myself to go ahead and start making the effort work towards it and figure it out along the way. That was the big part of it. So I had to get the momentum going. I had to overcome the friction of people doubting it, plus not knowing how to run and not knowing how to do it and all that other stuff. And then, of course, just the opposing forces. Well, there's all kinds of stuff that makes it difficult, you know, from you know, not having the right equipment to figuring out how to do it in the first place. Like, what does it really take? Uh, and then just be, all the distractions that come with competing against people that are better than you and, and, and still believing that you could do it at some point. And when point, other people you know? are dismissing your goals, like you're saying, I, you know, I, I want, I'm going to do this. And other people are like, yeah, probably not. Right. Like, oh, I don't, I, I don't right. think you should aim that high. Like that is literally a, um, that has a big impact on it, on, on, you know, it has an impact on a lot of people. It has an impact on everyone to some degree. 
you you highlighted a bunch of a bunch of interesting things there and one is i don't really know where like magical like make believe mental limits fit in here i think they are friction i think you're right i think they're they're it's funny to think cuz i i think of friction as being something that's sort of constant and and these are like like physical obstacles like like barrier like the more it seems more like a a, a line in the sand that you can't cross right like you you walk yeah. up to the line it's you walk up to that line and you're like i should be able to walk past this but everybody says nobody's nobody's able to do it so what happens if I do right? That that question is like mental friction that you're 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 creating for yourself, right? Like there's, the line is imaginary, but you've created this make believe line. And so in your case, being from maybe the Cayman Islands and thinking, well, well, I want to be a miler, but we don't we don't have any success of having you know good milers from the Cayman Islands. There's no one to look at and say, oh, well, he did it, so I can do it too. I think for every major story or every major major milestone or every every major challenge that you that you take on these three factors are going to have a role like they're always going to have a role that's the thing they're universal in our lives no matter what we're doing like if you want to raise your kids or you want to you want to like i'm living in japan and my daughters are uh i want them to be able to read and write and do everything in english but they don't really get a lot of that instruction in their schools so it's kind of on me right so okay so that's how do i get started on making sure that they have this background okay so there's a, there's a, there's an inertia quality i, I got to figure out how i'm going to schedule this time into their into their things i got to i want to make it fun i got to i have my own dist- energy and and how much energy do i want to put into it friction it's like okay what resources do i have what am i going to use how how do i get them to do it it's learning english is not easy right like it takes time it takes a lot of it takes a lot of effort right it's a I, i'm still working on it <laughs> yeah exactly right i mean you're trying to teach kids how to read and write and and when literally none of the words sound like they're written it's really frustrating right it takes a long time and so um and then, of course, you know, opposing forces, I just look at that and I say, well, there's just so many things they have going on in their life. They've got other schoolwork. They've got the, the, the different, they're trying to do, you know, ice skating or learning the piano or learning some other stuff. And, and you got to fit this stuff in and, and, and there's stuff that we want them to do. It doesn't really matter. The point I, I bring it up is your thing at pursuing the four-minute mile, if you take a moment to look at what you're trying to do, you will see that you have to overcome these types of problems. In your case, your motivation and your your belief in yourself and your desire to run the four-minute mile probably just completely overcame your inertia. Inertia wasn't probably a big problem for you because you just blasted through that with your desire to achieve the goal that you set. Like you set the goal and just boom, you went for it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that, and it's, I mean, hopefully I was able to share a little bit of insight in terms of like something like that. I mean, I, I did break four minutes in a mile. I became one of the fastest milers in history um, and definitely was able to do some really cool things. You know, I'm the record holder for UCLA and, and, and that's great. But that, but that, that belief, I mean, I think that that's one of the points I wanted to make was that my belief in being able to do anything, it wasn't it, me being able to achieve the four minute mile, breaking the four minute mile barrier wasn't about the four minute, wasn't as much about the breaking the four minute mile barrier as it was about believing that I could do something that I, I believed in that I wanted to achieve that I, 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 it, that's the goal or that the idea is that I want people to understand that it was the belief and the desire to do something. And, and that, that, that was really the big inertia for me was that nothing else can slow me down Yes, as much as it typically would because I believed and really, really wanted that thing. I wanted to break four minutes in a mile. I was hell-bent on being able to do that. Well, let me, let me categorize these two things then, because I think, I think there's two types of 
challenges, two types of, of projects, right? There's the project that you're co- incredibly passionate about. Like it's your life dream. It's your, it's something that you, it's a bucket list item. Maybe it's, it's something that you, you care very strongly about. Not always, but often if, if that's how you feel, it's actually much easier to overcome inertia. It's actually, the, the reality is it's much easier to overcome all of it. It's much easier to overcome the friction, to overcome the over- opposing forces. The stronger your internal motivation, the stronger your belief in, in, in why you're doing what you're doing, the more likely you are to, over, to overcome all of these problems. Like that is a natural, that is the natural force that o- overcomes all of these. And um, I'm reminded of a quote, right, that I, I've shared with you in the past. It's, uh, I think it's by Nietzsche, but I didn't read it in a Nietzsche book, but it's, it's he who has a why can bear any how. And the idea is that if you, if you have a reason that's strong enough for doing what it is you want to do, you can overcome all the obstacles. The how is, is all the obstacles and, and the stuff I'm talking about here, the inertia, the friction, the opposing forces. If, you, if, you ha- if your reason for doing what you're doing is strong enough, you will find a way to overcome those forces. Can we talk about that quote for a second, please? Because that's, sure, sure. I think, very relevant to what we're all dealing with right now is that we need we all need to find something that we believe in and that we want to strive for and go after and get started working on and identifying the the why will help us to overcome uh this pandemic honestly i mean i think that it's it's very easy and in many ways it's valid to as, as an excuse to be like well I was, we, you know, we were dealing with this pandemic. I was very limited in what I could do. But at the same time, I, I really feel like when you ask Kate some point, like there was never one second. In fact, we, you doubled down on Go Be More. And, uh, you know, along with me and, and honestly, the rest of our team, I don't think there's anyone on the team that said, oh, I think we should probably not be working on this right now right. and growing this business. Um, we doubled down on it and we're going to be coming harder. And I think in many ways we're, we've it's almost maybe ignited the fire even more so uh, to do it because of our passion for what we're doing, regardless of what's going on. It's we feel like now more than ever, we need to do what we're doing and. But I do believe we have a strong why, a very, very strong why. And I think that I want to see more people um, look for that why and whatever it is that they really want out of their life, you know, um, with the time that we're all given. And I, and I think that that will help more people to be purpose driven with, with how they spend their time. As we transition from what we're dealing with to whatever we're going to be dealing with after it's over. And as we work through this right now, I just feel like that's a really, really, really timely quote. Yeah. And I, well, here's what I would say. Like, I really, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I think, you know, there's the two groups that I was getting. One is, is this, this area where you're super passionate about it. And it's like a lifelong dream. It's something you want to pursue. Then there's the other type of project where you're not super passionate about it. You don't internally have that huge thing that's driving you, but maybe for other reasons that are that are that are important, you know, you you still need to do it, right? You still need to you still it's a project that needs to happen, it needs to get done. And I think both of these are there are strategies to to overcome the obstacles no matter how you're feeling. The more motivation you have for it, the more desire, the more passion you have for it, the more likely you are to overcome, right? It goes back to the quote. Like there, there's a corollary to that quote, he who has a why can bear almost any how. And the 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 corollary to that would be if your why is strong enough, you'll find the how. Right. You'll figure it out if you care enough to do it. And I think 
if you're in a situation now, well, let's just say if you're in a situation, we are all in a situation now where we're sort of stuck at home or, and we're, our, our lives have sort of been upended and we're making the best of, what, of the situation. If there's something that you want to be doing and you want to get started on a new project, the project to get started on is the thing that you're passionate about that you haven't started on because that passion is going to be the resource that helps you overcome the, 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 all the extra obstacles that are thrown in the way, all the opposing forces, the coronavirus restraints, the friction of, of, of doing something hard. It's, my recommendation would be if you want to get started on something, don't pick something you don't really care about. Pick something that you, that you already have an innate interest and passion for because the harder the obstacles you have to overcome, the more you're going to rely on that passion. To, to overcome it, that, that, that motivation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without a doubt. Um, Either way, though. I totally agree with you. Either way, though, all of that passion, motivation, it all has to be formatted into sort of routines and habits and, and, and many other things. Like passion doesn't really solve any problems until you use that passion to create the routines and the systems and the habits that solve the problems, right? It's, it's, uh, the passion is what enables you to find the how, but the how is, is always going to be consistent. It's going to be consistency, incremental progress. It's going to be doing what you can when you can and, and having a longer-term goal or vision in mind and just working small steps towards getting there. And that passion is what allows you to sustain it, right? Especially as it yeah. gets harder and especially as, as things keep coming into your life to sort of potentially knock you off track. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that right now, more than ever, it's very clear that if you weren't doing what what makes you makes you happy in life, if you weren't working on those things, even if it's just, uh, you know, we'll talk about this again at some point down the line. Um, the just one challenge, you know, our systematic like fun way of approaching getting started, which is like if we wanted to see you be go be more active, right? Go be more active. We said, well, you know, let's let's promote doing just one push up a day for thirty days, right? And the idea is you're not going to get in great shape. And you wrote about this in, 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 a, in a, a previous article, but it was really fun to read it the way that you wrote it was, I know you're not going to get ripped and super fit from That's doing right. one push-up a day. It, it seems absolutely absurd. But what seems even more absurd is not doing just one push-up and saying that you don't have time to do just one push-up or that you can't physically do one push-up. If Either you can't make the time to do one push-up and or you cannot physically do one push-up, we have a bigger problem, you know, and we want to address not getting started with being more physically active by helping you to get started with just one push-up and promoting that and saying the minimum is okay. Just do something, but don't not let the bigger things, all the stuff that encompasses this thing that you want to do, start a company, get in great shape, run a marathon, don't talk to me about running 26 miles when you haven't even run one step. That's right. And you haven't run one time around your block. And so I think that focusing on what you're definitely motivated to do, what you've really wanted to do, what a great time to sit down and, and figure that out. Like there's so much that you could do right now in terms of worrying about things, but that shouldn't be the entire day. You know, <laughs> that shouldn't consume up all of your mental energy. We can, we can, we should all be. Um, very aware of what's going on with the pandemic and the things that we should be cautious of and the financial challenges that we are all feeling and facing. But that cannot be the whole story. In particular, what our, cl what our close friends and family are going through, I think it's really important right now when you can't actually be around them to, to, to make an extra effort to just reach out and say, hey, how are things going? How are you doing? Because 
we, yeah, that's a good we, point. we want to be connected as much as possible. We want to be engaged with everyone and that will help you as much as it helps them. You know, you can do it mentally, like reaching out to, you know, a family or friend to, in order to make sure they're okay. But the act of having that conversation will fundamentally help you as well. Like it will, it will, it will be good for you. I think, yeah. I, I think talking about this, you know, I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about the story of Gobi Moore, because we have a few tips that we'll go through at the end. They're, they're, you know, in the article, I call them three mental hacks to help you get started. And the reality is they really are mental hacks. And the reason I call them mental hacks are they're, they're small activities. They're actual behaviors you do. But the reality is the, the way that you, uh, they, they trigger your brain to think about the problem differently. And they help you to overcome things like inertia and friction and these opposing forces. Um, mm-hmm. But I, we're going to get into those a little bit. But I thought it'd be interesting because it's, the story of Gobi Moore, I think, highlights these things. And the story of your challenge to get it start, get Gobi Moore started, and, and the time it took. And I and I really want to talk about it. it. One because I think it's a great story, and it's good. It's useful for people as they're learning about us in the podcast to have some context about what Gobi Moore is and, and where we came from. But also because when we start talking about the the strategies at the end, it'll give us a little some some concrete reference points to sort of refer back to. So I'm gonna lead the witness here, you know, I'm going to ask you some questions and I'm going to sort of, you know, you, you started Gobi Moore. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the stand. That's what I want to say, John. You're on the stand now. Um, you started. All right. I, I promise to tell the truth <laughs> and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Okay. So you started this, uh, this, I would say started the company. I mean, at least you had the idea. I don't know how much you did uh, in terms of formally starting a company back around 2007. Right. So, yeah. so in my understanding yeah. is 2007, you have the idea for the company Gobi Moore. You have the idea for the, the slogan, the gingerbread man logo, the, 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 the ideas, a lot of the ideas. And I'm just, what I'm going to do now is say, like, actually, we launched the website and started selling apparel in 2019. So there's a 12 year gap. And what I find interesting about this is that I, I, I will be perfectly honest. I think this is perfectly fine. Like that's just the way things like life is. That's the way that's the way things are, right? You got started in 2007 and we are we got to a major milestone in 2019. And I think it's interesting to talk about what you were doing during that time and a little bit maybe about what held you back and a little bit about um the progress you were able to make. And then we can go back and look at that when we start talking about the like, you know, ways to help go get started. I think it will be useful to to refer to sort of your story and 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 use it to help make the the examples more concrete. Yeah, no, I mean, appreciate that. I, being able to tell the story, you know, we've been getting really good at this, you know, because we're sharing it now as much as we can. Mm-hmm. But you know, I Gobi Moore came from this need to find something that represented me as a person, you know, and and as as well as me as an athlete. I, I, I was inspired by my sponsorship with Nike um, to become a sponsored professional athlete in any sport is for a lot of kids, you know, a lot of boys and a lot of girls. Uh, it's a dream come true. And, and uh, I definitely aspire to be a professional athlete. I thought it was going to be in basketball when I was a really young man. And, you know, by the time I was a teenager, my early teens, it switched to track and field and, and wanted to become an Olympian. But Nike became the the the, the the thing that helped me to realize that dream, they sponsored me after I graduated from UCLA in 2005. And I went on to spend four years as a sponsored Nike athlete. And it was near the end of that relationship with them where, you know, again, they were so awesome to offer me a, an opportunity to 
continue that relationship four years for another four years and another Olympic cycle. But I declined um, that opportunity because I felt like there was something missing in terms of having a brand, you know, like a cow's branded, <laughs> you know, and, and you, you put okay. your name on something. Yeah. And it's like that thing is I felt like that. I felt like, OK, I'm another name in the this group of athletes you know, around the world that are part of the Nike uh, stable. Okay. And I'm like, I wanted to stand out first and foremost. And I didn't feel like even if I was as successful as I imagined myself becoming as a runner under Nike, I still felt like I wouldn't stand out the way that I wanted to stand out and be represented by the brand the way that I wanted to be represented. So I contemplated creating my own brand or finding a different brand that would represent me. And that was back in 2007, about a year before uh, my sponsorship ended with Nike. And the gingerbread man fairy tale, that's where the GBM, gingerbread man, came from. He's a little brown runner, and uh, I'm a brown runner, <laughs> you know. So I made this immediate connection with this little cookie that was running down a path and that was overcoming first this idea that he was meant to just be a cookie. I feel like as a minority in, in, in many ways, I feel like there's all these different stigmas that I have to overcome, including being a minority in the sport of, of track and field in terms of distance running and middle distance running. There weren't a lot of uh, minorities uh, doing what I was doing and also being successful at it, yep. especially on the men's side. And and then I love the fact that he was running down this path and passing all these different people that would then turn around and chase him. And I loved what he would say. You know, um, you could run as fast as you can, but you can't catch me because I am the gingerbread man. And I just felt like the symbolism and the analogy uh, between his story, the gingerbread man story, and not only my story, but the greater human experience. I felt even at that time, I didn't put all of this together in that moment yep. in terms of wording it, but I, I could feel it. I said, wow, there's something very special about this character and how iconic him as a logo would be to so many people around the world that know the Gingerbread Man and that know the Gingerbread Man fairy tale and that spend every single winter making these cookies and houses from the gingerbread man you know and i said there's something really heartwarming about this this character and it's his story that i feel like if, if interpreted differently somewhat differently uh could i think help people see themselves differently and as a motivational speaker and as a professional athlete who goes out and tells people about the desire the dream to chase those dreams and what that how important that is to their happiness. I felt like his story represented that. And so that's how it got started. That's where it came from as far as the origin of it. You, so you got that, that message and, and you started sharing the message of Gobi Moore in your public speaking and in your, in your events that you did as an athlete, right? If I, this is my, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like, you know, the idea to make it your own company at that point, like what, you know, you, you've never started a company at that point. You're probably 20 in your early 20s and you have this idea. Like you've got this message that you're using and this character that represents it and you're refining that and you're, you're you know, it's it's evolving from 2007 to 2008, 2009, whatever the time period. But when when you started, when you decided you wanted to make it an actual company, how did you approach that? Like what was your, what were your, what were some of your steps? Like what were, what were some of the things that you did? 
Well, you know, I honestly didn't know what to do. And I and even starting a company at, at that time, um, at 25, 26 years old, in the midst of the beginning of a professional athletic career, it wasn't necessarily something that I was, I guess, I, I wasn't very knowledgeable about for sure. And I didn't really have any clear idea. And I, again, I'm such a dreamer and a visionary that it wasn't, that's one of my biggest, biggest, I guess, barriers at that time, especially it was like, I, I didn't even know where to take it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of building a business, and I didn't really do the research. I didn't do the homework that is required when you do a business. That's one of the number one things. I think you should really get to know the industry itself and uh, what others are doing, and also to help clarify what it is you want to do and what it is you really want to focus on. I think that that ties into what we were saying earlier about earlier about knowing your why once you know the why and you're kind of clear on that which i think this the, the homework that i needed to do to build a company i probably would have done this much sooner if i would have done that step i think maybe in the beginning but there's other things that we'll talk about in just a second that were barriers but that's not where i was at right i just knew that i needed something and i wanted to create something that represented me and i had no idea how to go about it so i think that not doing the homework was one of the issues you know i didn't create enough inertia from knowledge and the research required to uh, uh, to acquire that knowledge was something that I was lacking. So that's definitely one of the reasons why, in my opinion, why it didn't happen sooner. Yep, makes sense. Yeah, so that, I think that's a big part of it. But it, I definitely didn't have the intention of doing what we're doing now in, in, at that time. I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to create a, an apparel company. I know that that was kind of like an idea. Yeah. But for sure, I needed something that represented me so that when I went out and spoke to people, that I was leaving something behind for them to reference after my speeches, because my biggest dream is to become uh, a great motivational and inspirational public speaker, even greater than the running. The running was just, a, has, looking back in retrospect, was just a vehicle to help me to better understand who I am and what I really want out of life, and also to give me confidence. So I was successful at something, but that thing just helped me to re better understand and refine my understanding of who I am so that I could then t turn around and translate that into the speeches and into the work that I'm doing as a community builder and as a motivational speaker, which is now really a big, you know, I think um, part of what Gobi Moore is all about is bringing people together and, and educating people about these things that I've talked about, but educating them from, a, from, from that standpoint of this inspirational story that they can always reference that helps put into perspective what it is that they're experiencing and what it is that's holding them back. So I think, you know, you had this case then where you're, you've got this message and it's, and it's sort of a, a self-defining uh, message for you. It represents you. But I do know that you did a lot of, a lot of s small steps along the way because I don't know what year you did it, but I know that you had, you know, for example, logos done up. I know that you made uh, t-shirts for kids at a, at, at a camp or something like that. I don't remember exactly where they were given out. You actually got a trademark for the, for the logo and the company. You did do a lot of other steps, which were incremental steps. They didn't lead in that moment to actually starting a company or actually like a final vision, I would say, but they were, but they, they were activities that, that continued on. And there's a lot of people you met along the way during that time who you shared your ideas with like what you what you thought you could build with this brand and the reason i know that you talk to so many people is because a lot of them are still supporting us today right like they've these are people who maybe 10 years ago or they're they're so excited about where we're at because they've had this hope for you to 
to be at this point with this idea since you first told it to them many, many years ago. Yeah, it's a funny point. <laughs> I guess it's, it's funny because, I mean, if you look back at how you get to a point, certain points in your life, it, honestly, you can use with anything. It's not necessarily like something that you're focused on building or aware that you're building. But yeah, I mean, I, I talked about it a lot. I think one of the things that I've never had a problem with is talking about my dreams with other people and sharing ideas about things that I really aspire to do. And it's not, I don't have a lot of dreams, like a lot of random stuff that I bring up and I try and then I don't do it. It's like, I have these things that I really feel like come to me and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how to do it, how to make it work with whatever is in front of me and also how to have that uh, work with, with who I am and, and, and the things that I'm not good at and the, and the struggles that I have mentally, emotionally, physically that as just a person that I am, you know, just being who you are in and of itself, I think is in many ways kind of fits into all three categories of inertia, friction and, and opposing forces. I think we're our biggest, uh, in many ways, our biggest obstacle to overcome, yeah. you know, and I think that I, I think I've experienced that throughout my journey to this moment with you. But for sure, I was doing things, guessing half the time. But I think that's the point is that if I would have spent all that time researching, I don't know if I ever would have gotten started. I don't know if I ever would have really gotten going. And I think I think that that's the, the point in this podcast is that there's so many reasons why we don't get started. And there's so many things that mistakes that you're going to make, you know, and I made so many mistakes. I've messed up and in so many ways but i'm like that's not really that as big of a deal as we make it it's like oh i have to do this the right way in the right order and, and, and man how do you really know and even when you read it in the book it's not a hundred percent applicable to your situation because everything is unique to you and your situation and your experiences and your mindset and your personality and set etc etc so many factors and variables that no expert can account for hundred percent no matter what they tell you so that's what I think worked for me was that in my favor was that yeah I made I didn't really know what I was doing but you pointed it out and I'm glad you did the greatest thing that I could have done for myself for sure was act upon the idea in some way and I did that regularly I did it for years in fact I did it from the day that I had the idea and I really was clear on at least what the idea was and what I wanted to do with it how it was going to work out and, and how I was going to accomplish it and what it was going to become, all only time was going to un reveal those things. But the, and, and the act of you continuing to work on it, even if it's a matter of just thinking through, you know, w w the, what the five pillars should be or something like this that, that, that comes up, you know, probably not in 2007, but somewhere, somewhere later in the, in, the, in the process. These are all things that they keep it alive, right? They keep it going. They keep, they keep what, what, even if you have a small amount of inertia, they keep, they keep that inertia moving forward. They overcome, you know, starting a business or starting something new is really difficult. But the more you continue consistently work on it, the more you sort of grab a foothold and make a little bit of progress, right? It's sort of, it's, it's, these, these all come back to this, this main theme to me. Um, and, and it's something that, you know, we'll get in future episodes about other, other obstacles. I mean, uh, I'll just, for anyone who didn't hear the, 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 the welcome one, I know you, you battled kidney disease and, you know, after the kidney disease stopped running, went through, went through different things with different jobs and different, you know, kind of like starting a family. These are things, you know, I can relate a lot to the starting a family. I had my own ideas, you know, dreams I want to do. And it's like, when you start a family, you got to figure out how to balance the responsibilities you have, which never go away. Yep. Right. Like oh, yeah. they never go away. They're always there. And when your kids have 
issues or problems that you got to deal with, those are always going to take priority over whatever this other thing is that you want to do, right? Like it's, and you can't control when those things happen. You know, it's as simple as literally like yesterday, my daughter fell off the bike and just tore up her hands, right? Like she, it's, it's a, it's like, well, I'm in the middle of working on something for go be more, but not anymore. Now I got to go be like, you know, Dr. Dad. Right. And, and, uh, and <laughs> anyway, it's a really small example, but these things are going to happen all the time. Like whether, whether they're big or small, like it, it's always going to, you're always going to be doing this balance of what you want to work on and how much progress you can actually make given your circumstances. Your circumstances are, are right. not a hundred percent under your control. What is under your control is what, how, is how you adapt to those and how you navigate those and what you are able to get done given the reality of your situation. Right. So I, I'd love to go over, I mean, I'd, I'd love to finish telling a little bit more about, sure. you know, go be more in terms of just like how it's kind of gotten to be where it's at now, based on some of the things that I went through that was holding it back. But I definitely want to touch on, cause we've kind of hit on all three of them, which is kind of awesome. Uh, the mental hacks. Yes. And, cause I think it's important for, 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 for us to, clearly state what those are so that you guys can write these things down and not only the three i think categories of problems or challenges but then the three hacks that we also have utilized and seen as a theme as we've worked as i've worked to this point you know about a year and a half ago and then brian getting involved uh and becoming a partner and go be more again we're not just talking about this just to talk about it. We're literally going through and applying and reapplying and understanding and breaking down these different mental models and, and, and concepts uh, to help refine uh, the process of, of, of building a, uh, you know, a business and doing other things, as well, other projects as well tied to Gobi Moore. And, and, uh, and, and so this is all really important stuff that we think can help you guys as well as we, as we all work through global pandemic that we're in right now. Yeah, it's a great point. Let me start. And so we, we have three. These are the three main sort of pieces of advice for anybody who's looking to get started at something uh, and, and overcome the inertia, the friction, the, the, over, the, the, the opposing forces. Tip number one, mental hack number one, tell someone what you intend to do. Find someone and tell them, I, my goal is to do this or I want to do this. Or even better, I am going to accomplish X, Y, and Z, whatever it is that you're, that is, you want to do. I'm going to lose five pounds. I'm going to start an inspirational apparel business. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to boost my Instagram feed by 10,000 followers, whatever the thing is that you intend to do, tell someone. And there's reasons why this is so important. Your ideas when they're in your head are not real. Once you share those ideas with someone, they become real. The idea now exists as a separate thing outside in the world and it, because it's shared between two people. And once it's real, it's up to you to nurture it and grow it and make it and, and, and give it life. I borrowed some of this from you, John, I think, from our previous conversations. But I really believe it's important to put it out there because when it's just in your head, it's easy to dismiss it. Yeah, I, I know it's funny. I actually was told by uh, a mentor of mine that, that you lose, you give away power of being able to do something when you tell other people about it, especially when it's, when it's dreams. And it was a funny thing to hear this from somebody who was a two-time Olympic champion. And, and, and I asked him to explain it to me, and he, he made a good point, but I, I honestly, I don't ascribe to it and agree with his 
his perspective on it. Okay. But, you know, I'll share the contrasting perspective on sharing, uh, sure. you know, w telling people about stuff because I think it's important because I think a lot of people are afraid to tell people stuff because they feel like they're going to get bashed for it. Okay. That they're going to get discouraged from it. I actually believe the opposite of that. So I, he said, basically, that's the reason why you don't want to do it is that people will take away from your internal drive to achieve this thing. And the more that you tell people about it, if they are chipping away at that uh, with negativity and uh, being an opposing opposing uh, force, yeah. force yeah. in many ways, yeah, then then you're going to you're going to stop working on it and, and or your energy that you're putting into it, this 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 and passion or whatever it is that, that you you would otherwise pour into because you are the only person that's ever touched this thing in your head, this dream um, that it's going to. Um, lose steam. It's going to basically burst your bubble. So that worked for him though. But for me, and I think for most people, I don't think that that's the right thing to do because, well, that's very clearly the wrong thing to do because most people don't achieve and or even go after the dreams because they spend so much time in their head thinking about it and doubting it. And most of the stuff in our heads is negative self-talk. Uh, Yes, it's negative. So true. if all you're doing is putting this thing in your head and you're the one beating it up and, and, and you're the also the biggest reason why it'll even happen or even have a chance to happen, you, not anybody else and nothing else. You are the thing that has to still do the work. No matter what is happening outside of you, if you don't believe it, I don't care who you are. It will not happen. You know, like Mike Tyson talked about it and he said, Castamato, that was the guy that made me Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was still Mike Tyson, but he needed somebody to convince him to convince himself that he was Mike Tyson. Mm -hmm. So it took somebody telling him that he could do it. But Mike Tyson was in his own head saying, I'm never going to. I'm Who am I? I'm nobody. I'm nobody. You know, and that's Mike Tyson. Yeah. So for me, I, I feel like I had to tell people what I wanted to go after because it affirmed to me that I was so confident in it that I believed it that I'm confident enough to tell people about it and that even when they, because they still did it, those that love me, whatever, they weren't mean about it, but they said, that's impossible. You can't do that. I don't think that's going to happen, John. Oh, you better be careful to believe in it so much because when it doesn't work out, you're going to be really disappointed. Guys, I got to tell you, a lot of stuff is not going to work out. But most of the time, the reason why it doesn't even work out is because you don't even go for it. And the most time you don't go for it is because you don't tell somebody about it. You need to tell people about it so that you take ownership of that dream and then take responsibility for actually making it happen. It doesn't matter if it doesn't work out. I tell people this all the time. You're happier when you're doing what you love. And the moment you start going after the dream, it's more about the fact that you started it, you're happy, not because it worked out. So happiness, I think, comes from that. So I think you need to tell people because it forces you to get started. Yes, and, and the reality is there's nothing that says you have to tell everyone. And there's nothing that says if you know somebody is a, is a typically negative and not a good person to tell, you don't have to spend your time telling that person, right? You can certainly choose to tell the most supportive people in your environment and not tell the people who are not supportive. I think you can definitely be strategic about that. But I also think that there's this concept called consistency bias. And... What it basically is, is that we don't want to be seen as being inconsistent with the persona that we present to people. So if, if I am presenting to you, John, as somebody who's very thoughtful and wants to analyze things and do stuff, like I don't want to act in a way that goes against 
that image, that image of myself that I'm putting out there. And in the same way, when you commit to someone to say, I am going to, um, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. That's, you know, I have been working on a book for a while. And in the beginning, I just did it on my own. I wasn't telling people. But the minute I started telling people I'm going to write a book, all of a sudden it shifted for me. Now I felt like, well, these 10 people, I've all told them I'm writing a book. I got to write this book, right? Otherwise, I'm going to basically go back to them and be like, and they're going to ask me, how's the progress on the book? And if I say, oh, I'm not working on it, I'm going to look bad. It's a silly, it's a silly sort of way of thinking. But I don't bring it up to say that it's good or bad. It's just the way it is. This is just the way our minds work. Like you can't really, you can overcome yeah. it. You can, you can create strategies to utilize it or, or, or not utilize it. But the reality is if there's, if there's a type of person you want to be and you tell other people who you intend to be, the act of telling them will reinforce in your mind the need to do it. And that will yeah. boost your motivation to make sure that you do it. And it's a very, it's a, such a simple thing to do to tell someone who you intend to be and what you intend to do. And yet it is so powerful because it operates on this deep subconscious level in your brains. Which is why I think it's funny, but I'm going to do the analogy. And we're going to, for the next two points, I'm going to do my best to tie the analogy uh, of the gingerbread man story and our interpretation of it to these three steps. So that first step you're saying it's 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 that telling it's almost like this thing where like it makes it come to life, the the, yep. the dream. So it's no longer in your head, and now it's like it's it's born. It's actually given a life. You've breathed life into it, and I feel like the the little old lady makes the cookie. Yes. And she opens up the oven, and he jumps off the pan and runs out the window. And that's the first part: is that he becomes real. The dream becomes real, and he's running towards something greater than being just a cookie. So I think the first part is bring it to life. You got to give it some life, breathe some life into it. So that's the first part. So just like that cookie was like the idea you have in your head, the moment you speak it, that cookie is now out the window and he's off to the races. Now you can't, that cookie is no longer a cookie. That idea is no longer just an idea. It becomes real in the moment you speak it into existence. And you can argue, I suppose, uh, that him saying, you know, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. He now has to act consistently with that. Like he's basically said, you can't catch me. Like he's, he's committed now to outrunning everybody. And that's, and, and that is going to make him run even harder. Like it's just psychologically, you're going to be committed to any, anything you commit to doing publicly with somebody else. I mean that more in, not internally versus externally telling somebody else, if you commit to doing something, it will drive you to do the work to motivate you to do it, to, to get it done. So yeah, sure. Let's go with that. So, so here's, that's the first, the first, the first uh, tip we have, the first sort of mental hack is telling someone. And it is a mental hack because it literally changes the way you think about what it is you're trying to get done. And I'll just add one more thing. If you're telling the right people, you are giving them an opportunity to support you. There are people that John told about Gobi Moore 10 years ago, who we reached out to over the last year, and they have been amazingly supportive and a lot of that support comes from the fact that they have bought they bought into the idea 10 years ago and they were they've been waiting to support us to give a, to get to a point where, where where their support would be beneficial right so yep. as much as it's a psychological right. benefit there is a actual tangible benefit of having a support network that you create by virtue of telling people what you're trying to do yeah i couldn't imagine doing what we're doing without those people exactly so step number 2 take micro steps now micro step is exactly what you think it is. It is a teeny tiny 
seems like nothing uh, step in the right direction. Why is this important? This is important because most of the things we want to do don't get done in one moment. You can't just sit down. Most of us are not going to sit down and write a book in a day. Most of us are not going to create an apparel company in a day. Most of us are not going to lose 20 pounds in a day. I hope you're not trying to lose 20 pounds in a day. All these things, they're going to take time. And the end goal can feel too big. And it can feel like you don't have enough time to make enough progress to justify investing the effort in this moment, right? You only have five minutes. Like, what could I do in five minutes? It's not even worth it. I'll just, I'll just wait till tomorrow. And the idea of micro steps is a simple way to take control of that idea and use it to your advantage. If you can find anything, tiny productive step forward that you can do in, the, in this moment, or, or let's just say today for, to where you want to go, that is better than doing nothing because it gets you one small step further. And the act of doing a tiny step, if you can do a tiny step every day, those steps add up. And they add up in terms of, in terms of your displaying your commitment they add up in terms of actually making some some progress and they add up in terms of creating routines and and boosting your motivation they make so much of a difference even though each individual step really doesn't feel like you've got you've accomplished anything yeah no that's uh, i can attest to that uh, in so many ways you know uh, you know with um, starting this company to again trying to become an olympic track and field athlete and uh, breaking four minutes in a mile uh, if I were impatient and not willing to take the steps that was that, that was going to be required, I mean, it could easily have been somebody that was just blessed with the ability to run super fast in the mile and, and break four early on in, in my high school career. But I wasn't one of those guys. Uh, very few people like that exist. In fact, I mean, the only real standout guy for me you know that, that really did that was Jim Ryan you know and so there was a couple other guys that were able to go sub forward as high school but he was really the only one and so the reality is that's that's the exception not the norm and you know obviously I love being exceptional but the norm is that things take time and honestly the best thing about things taking time is that you do appreciate when you do arrive at the destination Yes. You know, so the micro steps, is, it really is what it's all about. The journey is what it's really all about. I, I can't wait to get to episode 100 of our podcast. Exactly. But I am loving episode number one, <laughs> you know, because I, I love what we're doing and I'm okay with going through the journey. I'm excited to see what, you know, each episode is going to be like for us and, and what the response is going to be like from the listeners and, and from friends and family, I think that we are doing something special and I'm not in any rush. I, I actually, I'm enjoying it so much that I don't want to get to episode 100 right away. I, 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 I want to take each micro step towards that and look, look, be able to look back at all the fumbles. And, and I mean, case in point is we, we made it, we, we went through so many iterations of recordings before we even had the courage and the confidence and the comfort level to really do what we're doing today. I mean, guys, this is a this conversation is a byproduct of, I think, two or three weeks of just like stumbling and fumbling through uh, the process, you know. But 
I'm so happy to be at this moment, looking back at all the micro steps that we took to get to this moment. Ah, yeah. If you pull back the curtain a little bit, I mean, you're hearing an episode and, and we'll come back in a hundred episodes and we'll, we'll listen to the first one and we'll think, wow, we sound so unpolished. And so it's all over the place and we'll probably nitpick it to death and we'll laugh about how silly we sound and whatever these things you can imagine. This is how everybody feels after they, they get really good at something when they look back at, at their initial, their initial work. But the reality of this is that we decided to start a podcast and we didn't know what we were doing. So it started with reaching out to people. You reached out to some people you knew and you told someone, we want to start a podcast. And these people had some experience and they said, okay, let's get on a call. And they helped us. They not only committed us to doing some of it, but we, we started having conversations. And they introduced us to another guy, Doug Sandler, a turnkey podcast, who graciously had a meeting with us and gave us some access to his coursework. And we went through some of that stuff to understand some of the basics and what, what materials we need. And then the next micro step was just like, oh, well, we need to buy some equipment. We don't have any microphones, right? Okay. Doug recommends this. We get these microphones. Let's, you know, another step. In the, in, it, that's all we did. It, there was one week where all we did was probably roughly out, talk about ideas for the podcast and wait for microphones to arrive, right? Like this is it. And, and yet yeah. those steps over time, they add up and everything from logging into an account, setting up things, writing a show description, the point is, these things could have been done much faster if we knew exactly what we were doing or had the money to pay somebody to say, hey, we just want you to do it. Like we could have probably done everything really fast. But we also sort of needed those micro steps to, to build and to learn and to think about what we want to do and to, to give some, t some time for the ideas to sort of marinate and come up with a better, with a better idea, a better framework. We needed to practice. We needed to have a few run-throughs where we just stumbled our way through you know, speaking into microphones, learning how to make the sound sound decent. The, the thing is now, like, I look back on it and it's frustrating in the moment. Here's the, one of the things about micro steps is micro steps are frustrating if you don't have the right mindset about them because they feel frustrating. They feel like you're not making as much progress as you want to or as you, as you should be making, the, the dreaded should word, right? Like, I should be able to do this faster. It shouldn't be taking me so long to figure out how this software works or whatever the thing is, right? All these things that are holding you back. But all of those small steps are progress. And that is often the most you're going to get out of it. So, so embracing that will give you a better opportunity or better uh, likelihood of being successful and, and actually getting started. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think that one of the things that's really invaluable about going through the process of anything and taking those micro steps is, is all the stuff that you learn with every step that you take. And sometimes those steps are missteps. Absolutely. You know, a lot of times those steps are missteps. Absolutely. But I'm like, boy, I tell you, all the missteps that we've make, made, when it happens, it's like, oh, man, that, that okay, that, that sucks. I, I wish it was, that was the right thing or I wish we were moving forward. In the moment, it, it's definitely frustrating because that's what you think. But I got to tell you, like when you retrospectively speaking, man, it's so cool to know what I know now. And a lot of times what knowing something is not about like knowing the answer. It's about knowing what isn't the answer. That's right. Yep. You know, like, oh, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That wasn't work. You know what? Why people pay consultants They pay people because they're going to tell you everything that doesn't work. <laughs> and they're going to tell you what also works, but they're going to tell you what doesn't work. So you can go, oh, because I was thinking about doing that. And you're like, well, don't do that. And this is why. But how do you think they know that? Because they made the mistake. That's why consultants great. I don't want somebody that's read it in the book. I can read it in the book. I want somebody that's actually went through it and messed up and said, well, I actually messed up and I know what doesn't work. 
That's why I'm paying you because you went through it and I said, oh, so you know it. Okay, I'm going to hit you up. You, you, that's why like, you trust coaches because they went through it. That's why you trust teachers because they've actually gone through and studied all the stuff and gone through the testing and all that stuff. And then you say, okay, I trust you. Teach me what you know about the thing that I now want to know how to do or, or the thing I want to teach or whatever, right? You have to make the mistakes because when you do, you're that much better at the thing that you're doing. Even if you don't want to be an expert at it, going through the stumblings, going through some of the learning and the experience makes you appreciate and helps you to appreciate and maximize whatever it is that you are doing or any services that you do decide to employ, including what we were considering, which is having you know a lot of help with doing the, uh, the podcast, which we still want to do, but we decided, hey, let's just work with what we got. You know, yeah. and work with what resources we have, and conserve a little bit financially, and and bootstrap this bad boy. And and uh, honestly, I'm really glad we came to that decision after a couple of months of conversations. A good friend of mine, I want to mention him, is Joe Fear of uh, Hustle and Flow Chart uh, podcast. And and those guys, obviously, I've known them since high school, and and they're crushing it in the podcast uh, world. And from a consulting and business consulting standpoint, those guys know how to market podcasts and they're wonderful. And the conversations we've had with Joe and his team have been great. And they turned us on to Doug yep. and his team. Right. Um, but we're not there yet. But we, So we're working to earn that. But I tell you what, when we do get there, we're going to appreciate that additional expertise that we bring on because we're going through all these micro steps to do a podcast, produce a podcast, and, and create something that's of value to our listeners. That's right. Ready for number three? Uh, yes. All right, the third tip. And this one, it's a mental model that I call zero to one. But let's reframe it. It's just, just get to one. This is the, the tip is just get to one. And there is a concept out there. It's very easy to get sucked into this mindset that it's a lot harder to make a million dollars than it is to make a dollar. It's a lot harder to get 100 clients than it is to get one client. To sell 1,000 shirts is, is harder than it is to sell one shirt. And the, the thing is, this mindset actually, I believe, is fundamentally backwards from how many projects work, right? And maybe not all. I don't want to make it out to be some exclusive thing. The thing about mental models is you got to apply them where it makes sense. But the thing is, when you're trying to, uh, let's use the example of Gobi Moore making an apparel company, and we want to sell clothes. It is so much harder to sell the first shirt than it is to continue selling shirts once we've got everything set up. To create the company, to get to do the logos and designs, to make the partnerships, to do the printing, to do all the steps that it takes to get the first shirt printed and sold to somebody, and including finding customers, marketing, everything. All this stuff is so much work to get the first shirt done. And after that, that work is done, and now all you have to do is continue selling the shirts. I'm very conscious that, yeah, it, it sounds like it's, okay, that makes sense for shirts. But if you're writing a book, it's very hard to get to the first, say, to get to the first draft. Once you've written the first draft, it's a lot easier to go edit and figure out what, what it is you're doing. If you want to get in shape and start doing, you know, if you want to, every day you have a routine, you want to do push-ups. This sounds, it sounds contrary to people that it's harder to do one push-up than 30 push-ups. But the problem is the first push-up, you have to actually go get on the floor and get yourself out of whatever it is you were doing and get onto the floor and start doing the push-ups. And that is actually the hardest part for most people. Once they get on the floor... It's, unbelie it's unbelievably hard. It's honestly, I can't believe how hard, how much credit we don't give that aspect of doing something, going from zero to one, getting to that first rep 
everything that's tied to that, tied into getting to that point. I mean, when you shared this with me, I was like, oh, man, it's so well put, you know. And, and what was the, um, I don't see, I, what was the author, uh, the name of the guy who wrote oh, the yeah. book? Oh, so, yeah. So actually, I mean, th- this comes from a book that I read by a guy named Peter Thiel. And Peter yeah. Thiel is a, is a, is a tech re- investor. And, and to be honest, my take on Zero to One is different from his. So if you want to read the book, it's, it's totally worth reading. It's a great book. His framework is that it's a lot harder to invent a new technology to go from doesn't exist to new technology exists than it is to take that technology once you've invented it and sell it around the world. So, for example, to create a new technology in his mind is going from zero to one. To take that technology once it exists and and sell it and implement it in every country in the world is going from one to 200 or something like that, right? So his argument is that it's much easier to to take something and replicate it than it is to invent in the first place. My take on the book, I, I think that's probably right, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of insight in there for people who are trying to create new companies and technologies. But I immediately read this book and thought to myself, that model explains so much more than just inventing technologies and you know globalization versus you know tech startups or something. It's it it actually captures the fundamental problem of going from a position of inertia, zero, to getting the first one done. And I said something about writing the first draft of a book. That's too big to think. Realistically, when I think about zero to one and, and just get to one from a standpoint of writing, when I want to work on the book, when I sit down, I have, to, I have to sit down and write the first sentence of the day. Whatever that first sentence, whatever that thing I'm going to write for the day is, I need to sit down and write that first sentence. Some days I'm going to write a couple sentences and that's all I'm going to get to. But often the hardest part is sitting down and writing that first sentence. And once I've written the first sentence, the rest just start to come. I've gotten, I've gotten over the, the main obstacle, which is getting going, getting the first step done. And um, I love this mental model, this sort of way of thinking, because it is applicable, I believe, from all the way from starting an apparel company. The first time, honestly, I'm just thinking about this now, so I haven't really given this thought before this, but... The first time I really encountered this was when I was in high school. I was the editor-in-chief of our high school yearbook. And we met with this yearbook company, whatever the guy was who, who, who we partnered with or who we contracted to actually make the books. And I asked him, how much does it cost to make a book? And he said, well, the first book costs $15,000. And then every other book after that is more or less free. And I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense to me, right? Because I, I, didn't, know, I didn't understand anything about publishing or any of this stuff. But the, 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 this is a physical book. You have to make all of the, oh, I'm forgetting all the terminology for it, but you have to make all the, the, the you have to make the first version of the book like by, by making every page, every spread, every, everything has to be designed perfectly and put in place. Mm, yeah, and and all that work yeah. of making all those files and putting it all together and doing all that takes a ton of time and effort. But then every, every additional copy is literally just about running it through the machine over and over and over again. Like every other copy after you make it is more or less free. So you have this like very low, you know, now I'm, I've, I've studied business and finance and everything. I know there's this, this difference of sort of the fixed cost, marginal cost, all of it makes sense. But the reality is getting, if you think, when I think about the yearbook now in the zero to one, getting that first yearbook done and printed, that is 99% of the challenge. Now, selling the books and getting people to pay for them and, and printing all of them, yeah, there's, there's, there's work there. But getting the first book done is the fundamental challenge. And Anyway, we could come up with 100 examples for this because the reality is it is a fundamental sort of principle, I, I believe, of the way progress happens and the way 
we need to think in order to get past the the concept that this is too big, that this is too much, like I can't make significant progress because the end goal that I want to achieve is so large and the amount of progress I can make today is so small. Well, if you just, if you can find a way to create, what is what is the one you need to get to each day that will allow you to build off of that one once you once you get that one done and you can commit to just getting that one done if you can build a system in place to do that it will sort of trigger you to sit down and commit to just getting this is now just one challenge if you can if you adopt the just one challenge the just one challenge says just do one push-up a day the goal of the just one challenge is not for you to do one push-up a day the goal of the just one challenge is for you to force yourself to get on the floor and do the one push-up and once you're on the floor, if you want to do more push-ups, do more push-ups. That's fine. But commit to doing the one push-up because the first push-up is the hard one that you need to do. John is wearing a Just One t-shirt right now. That's, oh, that's yeah. hilarious. Oh, yeah. So I'm anyway, flexing, I, I'm flexing right now. <laughs> I love this uh, concept. And and ever since I read the book, I, I, I find myself looking around and and I see the problem ahead of me and I say, okay, what would it take to just get to one, to, like to just to, to make progress? What is how can I break this down so that there's a minimum I can do every day? And when, by doing that, I'm going to make progress. And I find it to be so useful for helping me to not feel overwhelmed by the enormity of the challenge I'm trying to solve. Yes, yes. Well right? said. And just break it down to something small and know that it's a micro step and know that it's not going to make a difference in this moment. But over time, they will add up and they will help me get to where I need to get to. I just imagine a world where everybody gets started. <laughs> just get started. I mean, because yeah. I know that the bigger idea is, oh, everybody's dreams come true. Hey, man, if that happens, awesome. You know what I mean? And in many ways, I believe, well, when I say that, it's like, okay, if your dream is to win an Olympic gold medal, Let's just say that that's the dream and you and, and, and that happens. That's awesome. But for me, at 38, having had a dream at 14 to become an Olympic champion and at 38, I am not an Olympic champion. I right. become an Olymp I became an Olympic alternate. Uh, I made yeah. an Olympic team. I was officially named to a team. I made a team, which is so cool. It's a big deal. But I didn't become the Olympic champion, but I don't look at the dream. I don't look at it as a failure. I don't say, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't achieve the, the entire scope of the dream. I mean, I felt like the moment, and this is what I want for everybody else. I think this is why we love the Just One Challenge because how far that goes, how far that journey takes somebody. I believe that just getting started is the equivalent and even greater than achieving the dream because you're doing the thing that most people never do in life. They never get started. And I truly That's feel it. like, and I've felt like, the moment we sold our first t-shirt, the moment we launched the website, the moment just turning it on, mm -hmm. I felt like we did it. I felt like that's that that was such a big deal because it had been living in my head in so many ways. In some respects, no. And we've talked about that, but... It came to life, and I'm like, that's what I want for people. I want people to see and experience the process, to really go through the journey, because that's living. That's living to me. And I want to inspire 
with you and with our team, people to get started because I think that the moment, not I think, I know and I believe that the moment you get started with something is the moment you've achieved it. I think it's the same moment because you gave it a chance. And most people don't do that. And I and that norm, I I want that to be the exception that most people don't do it. I want that to be the exception. I want the norm to be that most people get started and that the experience going through the process of overcoming the inertia and the friction and the opposing forces that we all have and that will always be there and that will always be the excuse for why you don't get started. But we know, and I think that we can conclude after 90 minutes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it is absolutely unnecessary to believe that those things are the reason why you can't do it. It's not about the, the end goal. It's about living your life. And the only way to do that is to get started. John, that is a great place to end it. Thank you for being here to talk about this. I really, really enjoyed it. For those of you uh, listening, please go to your favorite podcast player, rate us, subscribe. Um, I need to work on this ending. It's a work in progress. Micro steps, right, John? Um, hey, so, man, you guys <laughs> listen to the podcast. You know what's up. You know what Hook to do. Up, That's right. Man. Spread the word. Subscribe. <laughs> Spread the word. Read the, read the, 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 the notes, I think is what exactly. you call it. The show and notes. There's Thank all you. kinds of, yeah, show notes. There's all kinds of information. We're going to get better at this, guys. Uh, but I'm happy to make mistakes along the way, and I'm happy to be transparent about those mis mistakes because Absolutely. hopefully it encourages and inspires you guys to know that it's not about perfection. It never will be. We'll always make mistakes, and honestly, I don't want to hide them because I know that it will inspire you to go for it and to get started. So um, thank you all. We, uh, John, uh, on behalf of John, I'm Brian Green. We are what the world is chasing, and we hope this podcast and all of our future podcasts will help you to be what the world is chasing too. Right on.